Maybe you expected me to walk out here with no notes. But because of this, I have to get behind the pulpit. So I just thought I can keep Pastor Wes in your prayers. He's uh, fighting pneumonia. And we're going to kick the feet out from under him and let him rest for as long as he needs. It is indeed an honor to open the Word with you this morning, especially with the 12th and Capstone Sermon, if you've been around, for this fall sermon series on Tensions to Tapestry. Now, I write a Bible study every week for the small groups. So by about Wednesday, I was working on this sermon for the small groups. And by Thursday, I knew that I'd be standing up here. So I intend mainly to lead scriptures, read scriptures, and add a few exhortations that aim to get you thinking and me thinking. Because I really think there's a mystery to this sermon or this message that only Christians understand in this world and experience in this world. The rest of the world don't get it. See if you get it. So there's a lot of work for you to do. Let's begin. So the Bible is against sitting on the fence. You can't have it two ways in the Scripture. Here's an Old Testament example. Elisha in the book of Kings calling out to the people of Israel who were wayward. 1 Kings 18, verse 21. Elijah went out before the people and said, How long will you waver between two opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. But if Baal is God, follow him. In other words, make up your minds. But as some translations put, don't go limping between two opinions. Another one says, don't hesitate. No fence sitting in the kingdom. Or earlier, I remember Joshua making that great call. Choose you this day whom you will serve. Life or death. It's a real one or the other. And even in the New Testament, Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount makes it very clear when he says, No one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You can't serve both God and money. But my favorite is in Revelation chapter 3. God, Jesus says to the angel of the church of Laodicea, I know your deeds, that you are neither hot nor cold. I wish you were either one or the other. So because you are lukewarm, neither hot nor cold, I'm about to spit you out of my mouth. I decided not to draw that. But otherwise, I had a couple days here and I drew some cartoons so you would remember this sermon. Uh, There's no half and half, no fence-sitting, no wavering, no galvanizing, no middle of the road. Except today, in today's sermon. Today is a different twist. We learn that we must have it two ways. We live in two worlds. We stand in the middle with one foot planted on one side and one foot planted on the other. This is the tension of the now and the not yet. This is what makes Christians absolutely unique in this world. This is what makes us genuine kingdom people, countercultural. We follow the way. We follow the risen Christ. So let's lead up to our main text in 1 Corinthians with a reminder that was read in this service only. So I was going to read the Jeremiah passage. I did it in the other services. I won't repeat it in this service. So you'll be out five minutes earlier, but that's okay. You can get to the prayer service for the seniors and the graduates, all right? But look at that. The people were in captivity, and the prophet says, 
There's a great plan for your future. I'm going to restore Jerusalem. I'm going to bring prosperity and restore this place to what it should be. But you know what it says earlier, doesn't don't you? Here they are in a foreign land, captives, waiting for that promise. And the Lord Almighty says to them, build houses and settle down, plant gardens and eat what they produce, marry and have sons and daughters, find wives. I won't go on to the rest, but seek, this is it, seek the peace and prosperity of the city to which you have, I had carried you into exile. It's amazing. Some of us feel like we're in exile and what's going on in Washington or anything else. And we kind of get so despairing of this world, we kind of just long for the next world, right? Well, that's not what the Scripture says. And that's not what Paul says in 1 Corinthians to first century Christians and to us today. Here he comes with his advice. Being followers of Jesus doesn't eliminate suffering, doesn't eliminate pain, doesn't eliminate death. But the resurrection of Jesus from the dead, the heart of the good news, the gospel, promises a future hope and a reason for living now. Now, Wes did give me a few, you know, he sits up here with notes, out notes, and preaches up here without notes, but he has notes. And they're all over the place. But here's some of the things I saw, and this is the punchline for the sermon. So if, if you get this, you can say you got it. The resurrected Jesus enables believers to live in the now and the not yet. A little bit fuller. Because Christ is risen, we embrace the tension that how we live now matters as much as how we will live then. I asked you to think, so I'm giving you a few seconds to think. Because Christ is risen, we embrace the tension that how we live now matters as much as how we live then. And therefore, we turn now to the 1 Corinthians passage. I have it again all here. Since I don't have a long sermon, I was going to read the whole passage again. It's so small you can't see it, right? But... Just, I want to read it and just let you listen to the amazing words that the world doesn't get. Only we get it. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We will not all sleep, but we will all be changed in a flash, in a twinkling of an eye at the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised imperishable and will be changed. Got to watch out if you're down the road at Mount Pleasant because it'll be a busy place when all of Houghton's saints gather, right, on that day. For the perishable must clothe itself with the imperishable and the mortal with immortality. When the perishable has been clothed with the imperishable and the mortal with immortality, then the saying will be that is written will be true. Death has been swallowed up in victory. This is the future. This is the wonderful truth. Oh, death, where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin and the... And the power of sin is the law, but thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Now we can go home. No. No. Because the very next verse says, therefore. What? Pack up your bags? No. Dear brothers and sisters, stand firm. Let nothing move you. Always give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord, because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. He goes from the not yet and the future and all this hope of heaven and he brings us right crashing back down to this real world where we live. There it is. This is how we are to live. Firm. I love the words here. Steadfast. Unmovable. Fully involved in life. 
I was privileged to look through some of Wes's notes, as I mentioned. It's interesting, when he and I sat down, I had done my Bible study, and he had done his sermon, and we looked, and we had so many things that were the same that he just said, go preach it. All right. But this is what he put in his notes. The best preparation for the not yet is to not to ignore or reject the now. It is to embrace the now with the mindset, priorities, grace, and power of the not yet. It's God's promises that make us worthwhile here on this world. Now, the same thing is pulled up by Paul in in his letter to Colossians. And you know that passage well in chapter 3. Since then you have been raised with Christ and set your hearts on things above where Christ is seated on the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above and not on earthly things. For you died and your life is now hidden with Christ and God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. And then he comes crashing back down. And as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves in compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, patience. Bear with each other and forgive one another. If any of you has a grievance against someone, forgive as the Lord forgave you. We just prayed that in the Lord's Prayer. And over all these virtues, put on love, which binds them together in perfect unity. And whatever you do in word or deed, remember that tension, the word and deed tension? Do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. So I remember Paul's strong advice to the Thessalonica's Christians. Some were sitting back in their rocking chairs just waiting for the Lord to return. Stop working, stop doing any Christian service, any kindness. Even probably had some grudges against their enemies. And he said, wait a minute, warn those who are idle. Warn them. And there's three or four verses in there. So again, back to 1 Corinthians 15. The heart of the gospel is Jesus' death and resurrection. The chapter begins, starting at verse 3. Paul says, I received what I passed on to you as of first importance. This is the bottom line of the Christian faith. This is the gospel. That Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. That he was buried. That he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures. And he goes on to list those people who saw the risen Lord. This is what is the absolute kernel of Christianity, our faith. And it's a promise for a victorious future, and it's a promise for the way we can live now. He says, stand firm. Don't be moved. Give yourself to the work of the Lord. Now, Paul had to work this out in his own life. And I think the book of Philippians is where he does the most honest sharing of his soul. For me to live is Christ, he says, to die is gain. If I am to go on living in the body, this will be fruitful labor for me. I am torn between the two. I desire to depart and be with Christ, which is better by far. But it is more necessary for you that I remain in the body. I want to know Christ, he says later, and the power of his resurrection. Because our point today is the resurrection is the pivot place between the now and the not yet. Because his power is in us. Most of the topics during this tapestry series attention to tapestry, have been everyday issues of the way we live, the way we witness, the way we work, triumph in sufferings, prayer, navigating our culture and the times we live in. And prayer is at the center of this, connection with God.
connection with the risen Lord. And thank you so much for many of you who participated in this prayer vigil once again. I know it's a passion of our pastor. And we must keep on our knees and keep the fires going, keep that relationship with the Lord going, whether it's here in a prayer room, in small groups, in prayer groups. Thank, so thankful for so many ways in which our people pray in this church. A few more exhortations. We can live in the moment so much that we live as if eternity is unreal. I know in the Colossians passage there, you're reminded sometimes of of the people who are so heavenly-minded that they're of no earthly good. Maybe you didn't know any people like that. We know of cults somehow. We had a relative of Debbie's who, they just suddenly whisked off to Alaska and disassociated with everybody else. Getting ready for the kingdom, you know. Well, that's not what Christian life is all about. And I know there are in the people in oppression, in prison, tortured, or even our American slaves, the, the African-American slaves created wonderful spirituals who said, this world is not my home, I'm just a passing through. If heaven's not my home, then Lord, what will I do? And I, I'm afraid I sing that often when there's something I just don't want to do and I'm complaining. This world is not my home. But I think they have a right to sing that and to have that longing for heaven. It gets them through. It's the right medicine. But... There's also, for those of us who aren't facing that kind of thing, we have to come back down to earth. And these are what we've been talking about in the, in the tensions. Jesus gave us such profound example. The heavenly one came to earth, touched down on this planet, and showed us how to live. He showed us, and then he instructed us. And that's why we pray, Lord, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. There it is, tying the two together. We're to be peacemakers, to be salt and light, to be humble, to forgive, to work hard, to be creative, to store up treasures in heaven by caring for those in need, to give a cup of cold water, to visit the sick and those in prison, share the good news of Jesus in word and deed. That's our job. Be about his business of loving people from the least to the greatest. And without time to go from Genesis to Revelation and give you the whole theology, I think that includes creation care. Taking care and better care of our planet Earth is part of it because there's a connection between this Earth and the new heaven and Earth. It's our mandate for now. We can be very concrete in this next month. Every year we do a Christmas Eve offering. The project this year is something that Western New York has been uh, putting together for several years, several churches have already started giving to a little community outside of Port-au-Prince, Haiti, called Canaan, spelled like Canaan. They call it Canaan. About 20,000 people in that area who were all displaced by the earthquake 10 years ago. And it isn't instant handouts there. It's still struggling to make things happen. We have a little Wesleyan church in a community of that 20 of about 5,000 people. And there's a little school with a roof, no walls, and no classrooms. They've tried some solar power. They've tried digging a well. They need more work there. And we've been cooperating with other large churches in this district. Finally, we have a chance at Houghton Wesleyan to pitch into this project in Haiti. And we're taking a Christmas offering, and I thank you in advance. What are we doing this for? Make ourselves feel good? It's not about feeling good. It's about being part of the kingdom. Chipping in where we can to help those in need. That's what Jesus says to go about doing. 
Now, Wes had a lot of good quotes, but I found one, and it had to be N.T. Wright, because anybody who quotes N.T. Wright is right. So here it is. (laughs) What we do in the present, by painting, by preaching, singing, sewing, weaving, I added that, praying, teaching, building hospitals, digging wells, campaigning for justice, writing poems, caring for the needy, loving your neighbor as yourself, will last into the future, into God's future. These activities are not simply ways of making the present life a little less beastly, a little more bearable until the day when we leave it behind altogether. No. They are part of what we may call building God's kingdom on earth as it is in heaven. Look at the latter chapters of Isaiah. Start at 55 and start going all the way to the end. And you see pictures of the life to come, and it's about having babies and being healthy, and even the old people aren't old anymore. And it's just about a great life. That's what God is dreaming for. So we start doing it now by helping people in need and so on. And I think of Houghton Seminary founder Willard Houghton, who believed in fixing up this world and started a simple school in this simple valley. It's a little more complicated up 20 miles to Letchworth, and it's a little more exciting than it is right here. But here it is, Houghton College. And this week I was reminded of one of our staff members who went to be with the Lord, Roland Fletcher. Some of you were here for the funeral. He was a pastor, he was a preacher, but he was also a master carpenter who used his hands. And all during that funeral, I got to thinking about this tension. Thursday, we celebrated not only his earthly life, what a good life, but reveled in the hope that he has in the life to come. The now and the not yet. And I think we have far too anemic view of the life to come, the life in heaven. It's not sitting on a cloud playing a harp, although some people can play the harp. But there's a lot more to it than that. Our investments in this life in service, compassion, skill, creativity, and people transfers and translates into the next God's ongoing agenda of kingdom praise and service. I think likely Roland is on the building committee in heaven because Jesus said, I'm going to prepare a place and he'll do a beautiful job of it. That's what the new heaven and new earth is about. Well, because I just last minute got this sermon, I I pulled out my favorite picture of Grandpa Ortlips, my H. Willard Ortlips grandfather who painted the mural at the chapel, and this would have been the way it looked at the centerpiece if he had finished it. But this is the text, that the resurrection is what feeds our now and what feeds our not yet, the future. It's all about the resurrection. Now, Grandpa Orlip, and I had to bring this up, is had a poem, and I learned about Rudyard Kipling as a little boy hearing this poem on Grandpa's lips. I'm not sure about the theology Pastor Wes isn't here, so somebody else is going to have to correct my theology. The poem, I'm going to read it because it kind of talks about the future. And I always dreamed of my grandfather who loved to paint but was very feeble in the end of his life. And he said, I'm going to use the comet's tail for a brush and the sky for my canvas. Here's where he got it. Rudyard Kipling. When earth's last picture is painted and the tubes are twisted and dried, when the oldest colors have faded and the youngest critics have died, some of you can say this by heart, We shall rest and faith when we shall need it. Lie down for an eon or two. 
till the master of all good workmen shall put us to work anew. And those that were good shall be happy, this is where I don't know, and shall sit in a golden chair. They shall splash a ten-league canvas with brushes of comet's hair. They shall find real saints to draw from, Magdalene, Peter, and Paul. They shall work for an age at a sitting and never be tired at all. And only the master shall praise us, and only the master shall blame, and no one shall work for money, and no one shall work for fame. But each for the joy of the working and each in his separate star shall draw the thing as he sees it for the God of things as they are. Well, I'm just trying to say there's, there's more coming up. Do you like great music? Do you like art? Do you like being creative? Do you like... Well, you're doing it now. Do it with all your heart. Because there's an eternity yet to come. So, friends, at the center of our faith, the tapestry of our present lives and the life to come is the, at the center of this is the triumphant resurrected Christ. The fact that he lives makes sense and brings purpose to the now and to the not yet. We are kingdom people, so live it up. Amen. Lord, we pray. That the things we don't understand and the mysteries of this will stay intriguing to us. And we will dig in our Bibles and get on our knees until we can live it day by day. To use our full energy and every gift of life to serve, to love, to live for you. And we know that this is just exactly a carbon copy of what it will be for eternity. And we thank you for our hope, the hope of what is to come. In Jesus' name we pray.